Laura Colwyn, in her book, More Home Cooking, writes, The table is a meeting place, a gathering ground, the source of sustenance and nourishment, festivity, safety, and satisfaction. A person cooking is a person giving. Even the simplest food is a gift. Now, whether large seasonal celebrations or weekly Sunday dinners, good food is at the heart of not only family, but of community. Good food and providing good food can also become a way of life and a way to give back to your community, as is the case of Claude Ellis, executive chef who went from homeless fry cook to an executive and corporate chef in the Atlanta area. In this episode, we'll have part one of our conversation with Claude, talking about his journey, his love for the art of cooking, and his inspiration for his dishes in The Good of Good Cooking here on the Perpetual Good Podcast. It's the Perpetual Good Podcast with your host, Kenneth Hopkins. Join us as we discover the good things that are happening all around us and what we can do to bring even more good to our communities. Life is like a box of assorted chocolates, but what swirls in my head, donuts from boxes, both go with the concept, never know what you'll get, unless you were open. Welcome back to the Perpetual Good Podcast, this is your host Kenneth Hopkins, and for this episode, we're actually on the road. I was able to come back to my hometown area, and we're going to be talking about good food. Now, in this time, we're doing a lot of celebration, and what you're going to find is whether it's celebration, whether it's people getting together, usually there's always food involved. And for this episode, I have the pleasure of having not just one, but three of my good friends. We're going to be talking about this, but the focus of this is going to be on Claude Ellis. Claude is an executive chef, and we're going to talk a little bit more about his background and the new company that he's created and his journey into becoming a chef and how food is important not only to him, but to his community. So, Claude, thank you for coming. And in addition to Claude, Claude and I have hung out with these two since, uh, since high school. To my left is Ed Gill and my brother from another mother. Vic Woodleaf, and we're actually in his office. So thank you for allowing us to hang out in uh, in your place, Vic. So it's great to have you here. Hello, of course, absolutely happy to happy to have you guys. So today we're going to be talking about the subject of food, but before we actually get into that, we always start the uh, the program with what's good. So we're going to start this off. I'm going to ask each of you what's good. We're going to leave you for last, Claude. <laughs> Uh, so, Ed, what's good with you? Immersed in my family. My practice has taken a second seat to family. I have the time to do it. So, um, yeah, I'm focusing on getting my boys graduated. My daughter just graduated. Actually, my oldest son just graduated from college. So, finding out how that's uh, really changing my life, I didn't really know what to expect when you have kids that are in college and then they want to go to graduate school and it just never ends. <laughs> it never, It never ends. But, you know, things are good. And I'm really happy. 
special relationships with all three of you guys, close as any people on this earth. Um, and I'm just really happy to be here. Yeah. The, the fact that we were able to, actually able to do this at this time is really special to me. So I'm glad all of this worked out the way that it did. Vic, what's good with you? Wow. Uh, mostly work and travel, also, also for work. But uh, I really want to, I like this time of year because I get to spend some time with my family. My son will be down for the holidays. Nice. Um, but this right here, this is this is special for me. So I'm I'm really glad you guys made it and we got to spend some time to hang out. I just looking forward, I feel like it's really important that we try to connect more and do things together because um it's, it's been a minute, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's been a minute and um I don't know, it's just important to me because we are so close and we have so much in common that we uh you know, we just try to do things, even if it's just a couple times a year. It's so easy to talk about it. It is. You know, we, we, we do that all the time. We so, do. Oh, yeah, we should get together. <laughs> we and six months go by. Right. And... <laughs> or yeah. sometimes six years. Yeah. <laughs> so, Claude, before we get into what's good with you, tell us just a little bit about yourself, what your title or titles are. Uh, tell us a little bit about your business, and then uh, tell us what's good. In the business, I'm executive chef, also corporate chef. But as if you be in this business long enough, you know, chef is a title of father, counselor, babysitter, you know, therapist. You have to be a good therapist. And sometimes security guard, you got to break up the fights, you know. Let's feel and taste great. Let's feel and taste great, you know. You don't know what could break off in the kitchen sometimes. So it seemed like I was built for that, you know. Uh, pretty much. Pretty yeah. much. So um, it's been um, an incredible journey. Incredible is a very appropriate term for Claude to use in describing his journey. I'd say that most of us experience maybe a tenth of the extremes and situations that Claude did. But for him, the important thing was being able to get something out of every experience and doing so with joy. I just decided to love this journey that I'm on in life. Stop having stuff that bothered me and whatever and just... Really not try to understand what's going on. I mean, not try to figure out, just try to understand what's going on. But really understand that when you're on a journey in life that you got to love every facet of it. You got to be able to love the, the bad if you're going to love the good. Everything's not going to always be good. And so. See, that's a very hard thing to, to do. We're going to get into that a little bit more because yeah. when it comes to the journeys, I mean, I, I think about some of the things that I that I've been through, and I'm sure that the two of you guys have, can be the same. You can look back and it's like, man, if I could, if I could ditch that one piece, yeah. I, I'd be good. But also, you don't know if you would be the same person if you ditched that piece. And I always believe that if you stay true to what you do, and you stay true to your craft, you know, your blessings will come. Mm -hmm. When you work with a lot of different people, and you work with people from all over the world, mm -hmm. and when you have Europeans tell me that. This is just a job for you Americans that we grow up sometimes at 10 years old. We know that we want to be chefs. We know what we want to do. Mm -hmm. This is our passion and this is what we love to do. But they generalize it to us Americans and they don't know some of us at 10 years old, 11 year old that we want. We're passionate about it. This is what we want to do. So when did your passion for cooking actually start? Because going back in high school. We talked a lot about the things that we wanted to do. We always knew yeah. Dick was going to be the dentist. dentist. We knew that. Absolutely. True. I was the preacher. Yeah. 
Ed was a lawyer. No, Ed was you, a class clown. Let's get it right. Ed was a class clown. <laughs> Y'all battled between who was going to be the actual that's class true, clown. Yeah. So, yeah, that's true. But when did you actually de- start to develop that passion for for cooking? I can remember that when I was a little boy that my grandmother would cook. She would bake. Mm-hmm. And back then when they baked, the best thing about baking was being able to lick the spoon. Yeah. See, <laughs> people nowadays don't remember that. You know, you have to go some generations back when we say lick the spoon, that that used to just do it. My grandmother would fry chicken and we get on Greyhound. That was our going out to eat. You know, so you mm-hmm. learn how to eat hot fried chicken and cold fried chicken. Mm-hmm. But the difference was is that when she fried it, she did it in a cast iron skillet. Mm-hmm. And she had to turn it over. And man, you just could smell it. And you couldn't walk away from it. Nowadays, you just put it in a fryer and you turn a button on 11 minutes, it's done. But grandma, you had to watch it. And she knew just when to turn it. Ooh, wee, I'm getting hungry thinking about it. Damn, my mouth watering up, boy. So then, you know, as a little kid, you just want to eat. The wonderful thing about food is everyone's experience is different. But it all starts early. Memories of parents and grandparents in the kitchen, doing what their parents taught them, and even bringing in different cultures, food, and flavors as families change and merge. As children, those times begin developing our taste palettes for different flavors and aromas, but also for the appreciation of the effort it takes to prepare a good meal. So I remember she would give me, I could be acting bad when she gave me a chicken leg, and I just remember the, the seasoning, the pepper, the 11 herbs and spices. Oh, she, that's, that's Kentucky Fried Chicken, my bad. <laughs> you know, but, um, but I can remember the taste, and as I gotten older, you know, my father remarried to a Philippine lady. So I guess in the culture of Philippines, they put on a pot of rice every day. Mm-hmm. And um, as a kid, you know, before I was with my mother, you know, we had cereal. Philippines, we had rice, you know. Mm-hmm. And I guess their raisin brand was add rice. You better learn how to add some hot dogs to it or some kind of meat in the house. And we got onions. You throw some onions in there and... You know, sometimes you flavor it with soy sauce. We didn't cook with it, but you flavored it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people get that all backwards. And then we had some eggs, and then next thing you know, a little bit of bacon in there. You know, you had a meal. Mm-hmm. So then, didn't know it, but I was getting trained how to be self-sufficient as a little boy. That I could take a pot of rice, you know, which is nowadays is pennies. Mm-hmm. And guess what? It kept me going. You know, and I knew how to add other things to it and make it look pretty. Mm-hmm. You know, she would slice the eggs and garnish it and he thought she put down like you know me that was five star you know but she made it look pretty didn't know then that was a training you know mm-hmm. the art words they say culinary arts mm-hmm. um i started seeing the artwork it just it looked beautiful to me mm-hmm. and fast forward some years later it became from you know my passion to where it was cooking became a necessity you know i was homeless Claude's journey took him to some of the most prestigious places and experiences, but it also took him to places none of us would ever want to go. For some, experiencing what Claude did would have been too much, but for Claude, he used it as a stepping stone and relied on his past experiences to not only meet his need, but to help open doors to the next part of his journey. One thing when you're homeless, one thing that you search for is food. You know, you want to eat and you need shelter. Mm-hmm. You don't necessarily need money, but you need some of those things to survive with. So I knew if I took a job at a restaurant or something like that, I could cure 
the hunger part because I remember coming up in the the restaurant working at a donut shop that when I got hungry they feed you they give you a meal a day mm-hmm. and I was like okay so you're homeless you know you know what if I get a job at the restaurant uh, that's how I would provide food for myself and a shelter I always can't get into that how I shelter myself a lot of bit but um you know I had fun doing it though you know finding a place to live but um what happened was at the restaurant it used to be they closed at ten o'clock and it was a fried chicken place. And I remember at 18, I had this job and that I knew it. Anything when I first started working there, anything after 10 o'clock, if it was left over, fried chicken, you can't reheat the next day. Instead of throwing it away, I was like, you know what? Can I take some home? I had a whole bucket of chicken. I was like, oh, my God, you know, <laughs> that I'm in heaven. You know, all I needed was some bread. You know, that was my vegetable back then. I took the bucket home and I even helped out some of my other buddies. Hey, you want something to eat? So after a couple of weeks at work at 930, I would just drop a whole basket of chicken. The manager would lose his mind. What the, What are you doing, buddy? You don't need all that chicken. I was like, oh, my bad, man. I was just like, but I knew once it was in the fry, we couldn't do nothing with it. So one day another guy walked in. It's about five minutes to 10. He said, why are you so happy? I was back there frying and cooking burgers. He said, why are you so happy? I said, Cause we're getting ready to close. He said, well, why are you happy? I said, I'm going to eat so good tonight, man. I'm going to have burgers. I'm going to have chicken. You know, and he looked at me. He was like, man, you really enjoy this. I was like, yeah, I'm going to eat good. You know, like I said, when you're homeless, you know, food is, you know, and I got real creative with the chicken, you know. So he came back. So let me just ask you just. Uh, he said that yeah. you were really enjoying it. You were like, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. Yeah. Were you actually enjoying the, the flavors and the intricacy of the food itself or just the fact that I'm going to eat good tonight? Did, had you made that connection with all of the things that you had learned before, the, the artistry and the, the, the beauty of the food? Had you made that connection then, or were you still in that process of, I've been able to meet my need right now, and so I'm happy with that point? Well, some of the, um, when you talk about, when I go back to frying the chicken, mm-hmm. you know, when you fry chicken, I don't care, you can put a timer on it, whatever, you can walk around. There's a certain way it, it, it's supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was frying the chicken, I, had, I was skilled at it. And then I was fast. So instead of having two people, they should just hire me. And also, so they never minded, you know, I might fry a little bit extra because in there, I didn't know back then about the food costs and the labor, you know, that, well, they're saving money with one person, but he eats a bucket of chicken every night. But it's cheaper to give him a bucket of chicken than to have another person with him. So they would just let me eat the bucket of chicken. And then I got good at making the chicken look pretty. So then I, I didn't want to over, I didn't want to cook it too long because it was too dry, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I'll, and I'll slam in the, in the restaurant business, boy, your chicken is so dry. You have to eat it outside in the rain. Well, just to give it some moisture. We didn't want that. So mm-hmm. no, the, I think the passion, um, the passion was always there. Um, and a lot of that was just coming from, if you're going to do something, do it right. Do it to the best of the ability you can do it. Mm-hmm. If I was going to fry that chicken for me, it's going to be good because I knew I was sharing it with somebody else. Mm-hmm. But I didn't know all the way, all this time, that that was part of the the culinary arts, that that was part of it, that the, the caring part, before mm-hmm. I even knew about it, it, was already in me. 
because I was already demonstrated. I wouldn't give my buddies nothing that I wouldn't eat. Mm-hmm. So the hamburgers, even though they was they was cold, but they had a little bit of juice in them. I didn't, I, even though they said leave them on there that long, I would take them off a minute early because I knew that we were cooking all the juice out of them. Mm-hmm. And didn't know I worked for a hamburger place. The chain was Roy Rogers. Mm-hmm. And at the time when I was coming up, they cooked all their burgers medium. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was awful. Like, it's red. What in the world? Nobody eats up. And people were ordering like that. Mm-hmm. We grew up, we have to cook everything. Mm-hmm. If, it's, <laughs> if it's red, you know, it's still moving. You know, no, we want to cook it to, boy, to the juices out of it. And so then, you know, I had to eat the burger mm-hmm. when it was, I, you know, I was like, yeah, it is juicy, but it's red. Mm-hmm. But that's where, you know, we start understanding that you don't have to cook everything well done to make it flavorful. Yeah. You Now you know what you're tasting. Mm-hmm. Before, when you cook it well done, sometimes you're tasting just the condiments that you put on it. Exactly. Do you really love a burger or do you love the mayonnaise, the ketchup, the, the, the onion, the, the lettuce and all that? But when you really cook a good piece of meat, mm-hmm. salt and pepper, you know, and you eat it medium, you're like, oh, I can taste beef. Mm-hmm. You know, I can taste the flavor of the meat. It's it's a completely different thing when when you learn about the art cooking. Yes. I mean, just thinking about you were talking about some of the things that we ate when we were in high school. Um, yeah. And... What we ate at school or what we ate at the donut shop or some of these other places, that would not be considered food, especially in the house, in the households that we, that we grew up in. I mean, you were just posting about being at your mom's and the spread that was, that still happens. I mean, think about the food that we ate just because it was there. I mean, we just think, you know, high school, that's what we're going to do. Day old donuts. That, that was our thing. Yes. But learning about the actual food and what food can actually do for us and the proper way to do it, it actually changes our mindset when it comes to everything, nutrition and health and, um, and even enjoying a good meal. Well done used to be my thing. Steak, it has to be burnt. That, that was it. But you will never catch me doing a steak well done. You, know, you get a good sear on it, but you have to have, you know, that, that's it. So. Let's move a little bit forward in this because you went from the high school experience to the, the homeless experience where you're, where you're cooking and you were able to transition that. And that had something to do with the guy that was, uh, that was there who was watching you cook, right? Yes. Okay. So talk a little bit about just your transition from frying up chicken to actually moving into more of a professional chef role. When the guy saw me cooking, he came back some days later and he offered me a job. He said, man, I could really use somebody like you on my team. And I was like, well, where, you, where am I working? He said, a university. And I had no idea that a university. Sometimes our path to our dream is far from straight. Sometimes it looks like we're going in the opposite direction or maybe that we're on the wrong path altogether. He said, we're going to start you off as a dishwasher. And I'm like, I'm cooking here, but a dishwasher? And I said, okay, you can get more than eight hours and you can do this. So I took the job. When I thought a dish machine, they said, no, you're going to, we're going to start you off in the pot room. And the pot, it was a room. 
it might have been like a one bedroom apartment, but it was three sinks in there and they were wheeling carts of trays. It was I was like, oh, my God, it was backed up like rush hour traffic. It'd be so many carts. And I would spend 10, 12 hours a day in there scrubbing pans. Wow. But in the meantime, in order to get to that room, I had to walk past the ladies that were doing the fruit displays. And when I walked past them, the first time I looked at them doing this fruit, and I was like, oh, my God, it hit me. It hit me like a ton of bricks. It was just like artwork. It was like the the most beautiful colors in the world. And I was like, man, I want to learn that. For some reason, it said, that's what I want to learn. And that was my first experience with really culinary arts. Because as you'll learn, as you start cooking, 50% of culinary arts is creativity. There's no right way. There's no wrong way. So most of the time you go to culinary school, you learn, you learn this way to cut, this way to do this. And once you learn that, you're off on your own. And so a lot of times we think that because, you know, you're going to culinary school and you're learning this craft from a chef. But see, in our culture, our chefs are our grandmothers, our mothers. Grandma, she put on that chicken in the pot. She add water to it, onions, celery, carrots. She'd cook it down and maybe add a little bit more, cook it down. She'd take that juice out of there and add it to her collard greens. Now, she took chicken stock, but she can't tell you. I'm just cooking this chicken down, getting this. this, And, and I would ask her, what kind of onions you would use? She'd say, they got to be hot. I didn't know what she meant hot. I would touch them and go, I don't feel nothing hot. But when she meant they'd be hot, they have to be when she cut them that your eyes would start watering. It'd make you think they're so hot that you just start watering. Well, that was flavor. Grandma wanted them hot like that because she knew that had the most flavor. And she knew that. If you put cold water in that pot and you put the onions and the celery in there, it's going to pull all the flavor out of it. She didn't have to go to culinary school. People spend $60,000 a year just to learn that. Mm-hmm. But I remember, see, I remember how she did it. Um, and then it was told to me that you just have to learn the whys. Learn why we do this. Mm-hmm. Learn why we do that. Um, I wanted to work with a chef that I didn't. At, I'm going to call the place Piedmont Country Club, mm-hmm. one of the most established country clubs in downtown Atlanta. I was already a, 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 in management. I went there for a job because a sous chef worked there. said, man, you'll be good here. Well, the chef, I went there and talked to me, but he put a test in front of me. Mm-hmm. You know, you could just about, I could do anything in the kitchen, but he put a test and it started asking me questions. What are your five mother sauces? <laughs> I said, ragu, you know, <laughs> prego, you know, stuff like this. So, woo-wee. So, I didn't know what the world he was talking about. He said, you know, how do you cut this? What's a medium cut? And, you know, I was like, you cut like this. And so, I took the test. He came back to me and said, man, you'll be so good at this job probably. But he said, we have one problem. He said, I have people that's in culinary school. They're going to ask you questions. And they're going to ask you, what is the mother sauce? And you can't tell them it's pregu or ragu. You can't say that. You have to really learn it. Mm-hmm. He said, I'm going to give you the best advice that, you know, some kind of way, go out here and seek some, learn the whys. Mm-hmm. And from that day on, I said, I never want to be where I don't understand what I'm doing. That is so important because we can look at that in each of our respective areas. 
I know that Nick and I have had this discussion a lot about the work that he's doing and the specialized work that he's doing. Yes. And it has nothing to do with digging into people's mouths. It has to do with it's the why. Yes. Why in the world would you spend that time to do these types of tests and this type of work? And for him, a lot of that why is when you see the results, when you see what happens with the people. I know, Ed, with you, a lot of your why is not just because you like law or you want to dig into some books or anything like that, but it has to do with the people in the community and the the people that you are affecting. So so talk to me about just, I mean, you've had a lot of good success when it comes to to cooking. Yes. Um, Your path totally went in a, a number of different directions that actually brought you to this. Yes. But in your words, what has, what has cooking done for you? Um, one of the main things that I've had a really good um, life with cooking um, is provided me to be able to put my kids through college. Mm-hmm. Um, some of the best things I've done, the people that I've met, the places I've traveled. Um, um, just so like um, I would say just some of the people, um, mm-hmm. being able to cook for people, really understanding, um, you know, that how food, like you said, brings us together. Mm-hmm. Um, that family type, you know, like you said, we were having family meals when we all get together and we're at the table and we're going back and forth. I can remember those things. It's it, truly after a football game or a track meet or band competition or something that, you know, we always ended up with food. And when you know something um, that you can really change somebody's day and the way they even feel about themselves, sometimes I can just talk about food. And um, it changed somebody's life by just letting them understand, like you said, what, what the nutrition value, what you put in your body, you know, will affect you. Yeah. From your skin to your hair, your fingernails, um, being ashy that you know about real well, Ed. <laughs> and and that's something that um, it's an issue in communities. It's a big issue in communities because there are a lot of communities that do not have access to what we would call good food. And I'm not talking about you know, like high-end steaks or, or, you know, that type of thing. But just the raw elements. There are, there are communities, whole communities, where there's not an actual grocery store. There'll be little corner stores, but there'll be more liquor stores, liquor stores Absolutely. than actual supermarkets. And so you have communities that generation after generation grow up with a lot of the problems that you were just talking about heart disease and diabetes and, and the list goes on and on because one, they don't have access to it. Two, nobody's talking to them about having good food. And if somebody decides to bring in a store, the prices of the good food is so much higher than the junk that's there. It's like, well, I can't afford this, so I'm just going to continue to 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 order this junk. And so, one, having the education about that and being able to let people know that there are some options and being able to do things differently 
one of the things you were you were mentioning is just being able to be satisfied with something that is a little bit different where you're actually able to taste the food. Talked about this on the last episode where one of my former customers, he served me up a I, I used to go to to uh, all of my customers when I was selling into Italian restaurants, pizza places. Okay. And uh, my kids loved it because I was always bringing home like 18 inch, 20, you know, 22 inch pizzas. Yeah. Packed, you know, packed full. Yeah. We would do that every night. But I went to this one restaurant and, uh, you know, I'm used to, I'd, I'd go in, they'd serve me a, you know, huge slice of, of whatever. He's like, yeah, sit down. I'm like, okay, so what? He said, I want to give you something. And he served me the smallest piece of pizza. Not even what you would normally expect from a from a personal size. This thing was was like this big. Yeah. And it had a piece of prosciutto, a little bit of cheese, and a little bit of pesto. He says, try this. Now, his pesto was homemade. From the garden in his in the back of his restaurant, yeah. flavorful, so, yeah, totally flavorful. So we're not talking, you know, something off the store shelves. Mm-hmm. He knew what he was doing, and when I tasted that, I finished that, and I'm like, I don't need anything else for the rest of the day. It was so good, yeah. And having that information and having that having that education completely changes us. And some of the things that you're talking about, your grandmother, the things that uh, that your mom does, the things that your mom does, the things that my dad used to do, all of those, all of those elements of of cooking actually help us to understand how we can take care of ourselves and treat ourselves better. No, you're you're, you're absolutely right, um, man. I, I just while you're talking, I just thought about that. You know, as I my journey in culinary arts, I started understanding about fresh vegetables. And fresh this and that. But remember when we grew up that a lot of times at our house, that's all we ate. Going out to eat was a McDonald's was a luxury, mm-hmm. you know. And if we brought McDonald's home, we had to share the fries, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. And it was a small fry at that. So we got maybe one or two. <laughs> it was never a large fry. Never, never <laughs> a large. Good God, are y'all the Jeffersons? Y'all them blew up in the projects? Um, so, but when I look back, you know. And I, and, and, I, and I always try to analyze that where did all this really start? Well, you know, it's us eating stuff like that where my stepmom, even my mom and them, that they would start preparing meals days ahead, you know, um, where they had to do the greens. and then. But when you're cooking everything from scratch, it takes time to do everything. But nowadays when you buy this frozen, you put it in the microwave, add some water to it, and it's done. And... You know, you wonder why you eat. You wonder why you 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 wake up sometimes that you're still hungry. Uh, and just like you said with the pizza, mm-hmm. the smallest slice, but the intense, the, the the flavorful from the pesto. I mean, you tasted the the way he tasted the vegetables, the way they interacted. The pizza, as you find out, you don't need a lot of cheese. Cheese is a compliment, mm-hmm. um, and that's what a lot of us don't understand that when you. Some of these other countries where they don't have all this fast food. Mm-hmm. Um, I work for a guy from the Middle East that we make a soup from his grandmother. Mm-hmm. It has five ingredients in it, and water is one. The other ingredient is lentils. Then you got salt and pepper, and the last ingredient was the best olive oil. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. 
Yes. <laughs> Five ingredients in a soup. And this is one of my biggest sellers. Yeah. It's a grandma recipe. Everybody's, I love the lentils. So Damn. when you take those ingredients and when you marry them, but it's the olive oil, mm-hmm. you're taking some of the best that they press, you know, and when you put it all together, you're like, my God, this is such, so delicious, mm-hmm. you know, and you throw a little cumin in there, you're just jumping up and down and that's mm-hmm. all you need. Yeah. So working for a guy from the Middle East, you have to know how to cook. That means you have to be able to cook from the freshest ingredients. Hummus. A lot of us want red pepper and all this stuff because ingredients. Hummus is very basic. But if you have the right olive oil, lemon juice, garlic, tahini, you know, know how to cook your fresh chickpeas, your dried chickpeas. You know, learn those techniques right there. Um, then you got something really good and healthy. This has been part one of my conversation with Claude Ellis, who found his life's passion in preparing the best food for his family and his community. Stay tuned to Perpetual Good to hear part two of my conversation with Claude and to all of the other episodes highlighting people doing good. Theme music for Perpetual Good is Wild and Windy, provided by Bled John. Additional music is Soaring Above the Waves by Rolick Music. Social Media Marketing and Management by Imani Tahira, and Kitchen Sounds from Sounds to Sleep To. And a special thanks going out to Dr. Victor Woodleaf for providing the venue for our conversation. I leave you with this quote from Maya Angelou. I'm just someone who likes cooking and for whom sharing food is a form of expression. We'll talk to you again on the next episode of Perpetual Good.